So this morning, I'm going to be carrying on um, with the Israelites and the journey that they came out of Egypt. Like we're talking about the Exodus. So not just the book of Exodus, but their whole Exodus, which means leaving. And so I'm going to be picking it up from Numbers today. So if you have your Bible, it would be great to swipe it open or open it if it's paper. And we're going to be looking at it uh, this morning from Numbers 13 is where we're going to uh, pick it up from. But before we get to Numbers 13, a lot, and I mean a lot of stuff, has happened to the Israelites. Now, I'm not going to go into all the history of it this morning because Ash and Jamie have done an amazing job of covering that. So if you haven't heard their messages, I really, really encourage you to please go back and listen to them. And I also really want to encourage you to, um, during the week, open up your Bible Read Exodus, read Leviticus, read the beginning of Numbers so that you can see the history of the Israelites. Like it's 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 fascinating. It's the gems that God has shown me over the last couple of weeks is just incredible. So by the time we get to the Israelites in Numbers 13, they were not happy. Like they were seriously, seriously not happy. They were grumbling and they were moaning about being in the wilderness. They were whinging about their hunger and they were complaining so much that they honestly thought that they would have been better off going back to Egypt, even though they were in slavery. Even Moses' own brother and sister started complaining and opposing him. They were bad-mouthing him in front of all of the people. Things were seriously not good. In Numbers 13.2, God told Moses to choose 12 men to go and explore the land of Canaan. Now, this was their promised land. So, as God said, Moses chose 12 men. He chose one leader from each of the tribes, and he sent them out into this land. Now, you have to understand that these men were leaders, okay? So they were not just any men. Like, there were 600,000 men in the camp that, you know, God could have chosen, but he chose a leader, from each of the tribes, and he sent them to explain, ex- explore the land for 40 days. So we're going to pick it up in Numbers 13, verse 26. And I am going to need my glasses. Numbers 13, 26. They came back, the spies, to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit from the land. So they picked giant grapes and pomegranates and they they showed them. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. But then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a really bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, 
The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. There is so much just in those few verses that we could cover this morning, but we don't have time because apparently lunchtime's coming. But I seriously encourage you guys to read it during the week. Open up your Bibles and just see the things that God will reveal to you. But this morning, I just really want to encourage you on your walk with God. Because if we were going to be honest, life is tough. Life is not easy. And sometimes when life is tough, we can look at the giants ahead of us and they can seem bigger than God's promises to us. But God is always faithful and his word will never return void. You know, we are all walking through our own personal battles, but God says that we're to not walk alone. You know, he's given us this amazing family to walk with, to strengthen each other on our journeys. And I believe one of the greatest ways that we can strengthen each other is to encourage each other. So that is my aim this morning. So this morning, I've just got three points that I'd love for you to ponder on as we go on this journey as a church and as you continue your personal walk with God. It is my prayer that these three points will encourage you to go deeper into your relationship with God, that you would seek more of Him like we were singing about, and that we would hear His voice and that we would hold on to His promises. As we look at the spies this morning, let's take some time to reflect on our own journey and see the lessons that we can learn from the spies, from the fear that gripped them and to the consequences that followed. It was their fear that ultimately kept them from their promised land and left them wandering the desert for 40 years, one year for every day the spies were in Canaan. So my first point this morning is we have to know God's truth. God's truth is absolute. His word is truth. He is truth. There is no disputing God's truth. But just like the spies, we can outweigh it with our own opinions. Numbers 13.27 says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. That is the truth. That is the absolute truth. Just as God had promised Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3.8, when he said, I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites. But what happened is instead of stopping with the absolute truth, the truth of what God had promised them, they added their own opinions. Caleb said they should go and take the land. And the ten spies said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than us. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. They said, the land that we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. 
and we looked the same to them. Now, there is truth in what they were saying. Like, they weren't making it up. But what they were doing is they were emphasising their opinion over God's truth. They had added their own opinions to his truth. And you can often tell when it turns from God's absolute truth into opinion because the word but is added. So the spies said, yep, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but the people who live there are powerful. When we add the word but, it means despite all of that. Despite God's faithful promise, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Despite God's faithful promise, the cities are fortified and large. Despite God's faithful promise, we saw the descendants of Anakthia. Despite seeing that the land was flowing with milk and honey, we cannot take the land. If they were seeing it with just God's truth, they would have said, still said it all, but it would have been worded different. It probably would have sounded like this. The people who dwell in the land are strong, but because of God's faithful promise, we are stronger. The cities are fortified and large, but because of God's faithful promise, we will win the victory. The descendants of Anak live there, but because of God's faithful promise, we can defeat them. God's promises always triumph over any obstacle. But the spies, they'd lost sight of this. You know, how often do we look and we see God's truth, but then we emphasise our own opinion? You know, Jesus died on the cross for my sin, but I'm not worthy. I'm forgiven, but I live in shame. I've been set free, but I'm still stuck. Instead, if we look at it through God's truth, we can completely remove the buts. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I am forgiven. I have been set free. We need to see God's truth and not always add our own opinions to it. Now, that's not to say that we um, ignore the facts and that we squish our own feelings. But however we look at our thoughts and conversations, they should always end with Jesus' truth. If we read the story a little bit further back, we see that it wasn't just the spies that added their own opinions. Moses actually did it as well. God did tell Moses to send the spies to check out the land of Canaan that he promised them. But then what Moses does is he adds his own two cents worth and tells them what to look for And he told them to check it out and see if it was good. Knowing, or actually maybe forgetting, that God had said that the land is good. When the spies started looking around at the things that Moses had told them to look for and not the things that God had said, that is where fear and confusion began to set in. You know, how often do we look at our situation and let fear and confusion blind us from what we know God has said. Or we add things like Moses did. I remember there was a a season in my life when God said to me very clearly that I need to spend more time in his word. That was all he said, spend time in my word. But in my humanness, I added it. I added it. I said, okay, I need to spend time in God's word and 
I need to do it at 6am and I need to do it for an hour and I need to journal it and I need to pray into it for an hour after that. (sighs) I had lost sight of what God had said to me because I was adding all my own humanness into it. I was adding all these expectations that I felt I needed. All God said was, spend time in my word. It was like I was sabotaging myself before I'd even opened up my Bible. And just like the Israelites who listen to the negative opinions, we can also listen to the negative opinions of others. We can listen to the majority without knowing all the facts and checking it against God's word and his promises to us. We have to be ever so careful when we're voicing our own opinions, whether it's just to ourselves, whether it's about our quiet time, or whether it's to others. Voicing opinions isn't necessarily a bad thing, but we need to be mindful if we are adding them to God's absolute truth or taking over from his truth. You know, church gossip doesn't normally start with malice intent, but it can innocently start with someone not completely understanding God's truth, or they can add their own opinion to what originally was a truth. Church is great, but the sermon was awesome, but, you know, we are family, but the pastor is awesome, but, you know, God has said this, but we need to get rid of our buts. Church is great, full stop. The sermon was great. Full stop. Thank you. We are family. Full stop. The pastor is great. Amen. Full stop. God has said this. Full stop. Let's be a church that speaks of God's truth, of his goodness and of his faithfulness without adding our opinions and clouding it. Let's be a church that focuses on his truth Let's be a church that is convicted by his truth and not be swayed by the majority or the voices of the well-meaning opinions of others. Even if you're unsure of the promises of God on your life, you can always, always be sure of his character. My second thought this morning is, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on fear? Or on the promises of God. Because what you focus on and where you spend your time will determine what you see. This next picture is a uh, picture of my family. That is my family snorkeling in the Indian Ocean. It uh, It was a beautiful hot day. The water was so clear. And it was warmer than a warm thing. Like, it was just picture postcard perfect. The reason I'm not in this photo is because I'm taking the photo. And the reason I'm taking the photo is because I was on the boat. And the reason I was on the boat is because I was paralysed with fear. This holiday that we've just been on was... 
it was eight months in the planning. You know, we'd started planning it back in January, and I knew that this holiday was going to be significant. You know, as life's getting busier and the kids are getting older and doing their own things, I knew that it was going to be a really, really great family time. But I, And so I went into this holiday saying to myself, I, I'm not going to live with fear. I'm going to put myself out there, I'm going to do everything that we've said we're going to do. Like, it's not like we planned bungee jumping or anything, but I was like, I was going to live fearless. Because for so much of my life, I have lived in fear and it has robbed me and I was not going to let the enemy take this holiday from me. And so my family were in the water and I was on the boat and there was only one other woman on the boat with me and I think she was even more fearful than I was. And I said to myself, no, you can do this, you can do this. And then I said to myself, "Mm, yeah, no, maybe not. And I think it's at that point that my rational thinking went out the window and fear-based and emotional thinking came into play. I'm like, I can't swim. I, I don't even like water. In fact, I hate salt water. I hate the ocean. Like, oh my goodness, what if there's sharks? What if a shark eats my arm? Like, are they going to make a movie out of me? Like, are they going to call it, you know, soul snorkeling? Like, all these thoughts were coming into my mind, like completely irrational thoughts. And so I took a deep breath, and even more thoughts came into my mind. Oh my goodness, what if I die? How are they going to get my body back to New Zealand? Like, are they going to bury me in my jeans? Yep, they will bury me in my jeans because they know I love my jeans. But what T-shirt? Like, what T-shirt are they going to bury me in? If I've only got one arm, is that going to look really silly with a T-shirt? Like, maybe I need to be wearing a sweatshirt. And I'm like, I'm going to get too hot. I'm like, Kathy, you're dead. You're not going to get hot. I'm like, what sweatshirt? And I'm like, no, no, back to a T-shirt. I'm going to be buried in a T-shirt. What's my favorite? All these thoughts milliseconds on the boat while my family are having this amazing time snorkeling. Like, it was, it was, yeah, it was insane. But then God got a hold of me, and he reigned in my thoughts, my irrational thoughts, and he reminded me that he's always with me, that I can do all things through his strength, and that actually I would be fine. And even if I wasn't fine, my family would find a T-shirt to bury me in. (laughs) So I put on my big girl pants. Well, they were actually togs, but I put them on, and I put on my life jacket, and I got the instructor to check my life jacket and my snorkel. Actually, I got him to check it three times, but (laughs) he did everything, and I jumped into the water. And I would love to say... I would love to say the minute I jumped in the water, it was idyllic and beautiful. It wasn't. I had this panic attack that I was in the middle of the ocean, and what if the boat drifted off and I drifted off and no one ever found me? Then what are they going to do with my T-shirt? You know. Anyway, pulled myself back together, took a deep breath, and was like, I can do this. I can do this. So I swam over to the family and seeing their reactions to me in the water. Yeah, it was kind of cool. And it was, honestly, it was amazing. Like I got the hang of the snorkel and the mask pretty quickly. 
and we were just swimming amongst Nemo and all his friends, and it was, it was honestly incredible. And it was one of these memories that I think is going to be etched in my, in my memory for a very long time. But it could have been so different. The enemy could have so easily have stolen that from me. You know, fear gripped the Israelites. Even though God had promised the Israelites that they would be able to conquer the land, fear crept in. Moses instructed the spies to report back on the agriculture and the lay of the land. And during their 40 days, they did see fortified cities and they did see resident giants, which frightened them. And then it led them to believe that the Israelites were not going to be able to conquer the land, even though God had said that they could. Ten of the spies decided to bring back an unbalanced report, focusing on the difficulty of the task before them. They chose to focus on their fear over God's promise. Now, again, none of the spies that went into the land lied. They had just different perspectives on what they saw. And the ten chose to bring back a report that focused on the negative. Caleb and Joshua tried to focus on the promises of God, but they were outspoken. There are so many things that we can learn from the spies. So many things that took their focus off the promises of God. They focused on their fear. They focused on doubt, self-deprecation. They, they, they looked at their critical spirit, rebellion, ingratitude, unbelief. So many things that took them away from the promises of God. They were so fear-filled that they completely lost focus on the actual promises of God. These were all leaders, and so they knew the promise of God. In fact, I'm sure that they probably would have even taught their tribes about all this stuff. These were well-educated men on God. Yet when it came to the crunch, because their focus was not on God and his promises, they focused on what lay ahead of them. Their words were being dictated by their emotions instead of their rational thinking, which obviously I can relate to. Fear can do amazing things to our state of mind. And one of the biggest things that it can do is it can cause us to forget. You know, the Israelites quickly forgot that God had delivered them from slavery by sending 10 plagues to the Egyptians. They'd completely forgotten that God had led them on dry ground through the divided Red Sea. They completely forgot that that same sea swallowed up the Egyptian army. They forgot that God had led them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You know, how often is that true in our lives? I know that I'm guilty of it. You know, there can be so many positive things going on, so many blessings happening in my life. But if I'm fearful, all I can see and all I choose to focus on is the negative. And I forget about everything that God has done for me in the past. We have a book full, so full, filter overflowing with promises that I can read. You know, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I forget that one a lot. 
He gives strength to the weary. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You know, I could go on for hours with the promises that God has given, not only to me, but to every single one of us. But some days when I'm fearful, whether that's brought on by stress or things aren't going right or I'm tired or I'm frustrated or I'm being lazy or I'm being distracted with social media, I can so easily lose sight of those promises and I focus on what is right in front of me. I can focus on the fact that the house is not as tidy as I'd like it, the fact that people are frustrating me, people around me are whinging, people are being negative. Some days I'm just not winning at life. All these negative emotions take over my rational thinking and I forget about his promises, his promises that trump every emotion or bad day that I'm having. I know for me, fear can easily turn into a feeling of being overwhelmed. And sometimes I just, I just want to quit. And this fear, it can creep into all areas of our lives, and it can change the way we look at things. I remember one time I had, um, I'd been away at a conference for a couple of days, and I got back and I walked into the house and I could see that the kids had done this amazing job. They'd, you know, washed the floors and vacuumed and tidied and put everything away. And it was, it was looking amazing. But I was tired and I was fearful because I wasn't focusing on God. And the very first thing that came out of my mouth was, no one's done the washing. Like, it's not that I hadn't seen what the kids had done, but I was choosing to focus on the negative Church is another example. You know, it's so easy to look around church and see that things aren't perfect or they aren't working well. But let's choose to be a people that focuses on the good things and not the negative ones. It's like when our kids were little, and I have to be honest here, our kids were easy kids. You know, we didn't have that many issues with them. They were pretty, pretty, pretty cruisy kids. But every now and then they would lose the plot. And when I stopped and I thought about it and I watched what was going on, nine times out of ten it was because they weren't getting the attention that they needed. And so being the grown-up, I would stop what I was doing and I would focus on the kids, I would give them the attention that they needed and they'd come right, they'd get back on track and they'd be happy like they were. And it's funny because I see that in my own life now with God. I can see that if I'm overwhelmed and I'm fearful, it's because I haven't spent time with him. And so I start acting up. I'm not as kind to people as I normally am. I isolate myself. I'm not the best version of me that I can be. I start whinging and complaining and pretty much acting like my kids did. But when I take ownership of that and I spend quality time with God again, I get realigned. I, f- I focus on the positive. I take my eyes off the negative and I readjust my focus to look at God and his promises. There is no greater weapon against fear than spending time with God. So as a church, let's keep our focus on him. Let's keep our focus on him and his word. Let's stay close to him so that when the storms come, and they will, 
that we can be grounded in him, that our focus will remain on him and not on our problems. I know for me one way that really helps me stay focused is to thank God for all the blessings in my life. But to thank him, we actually need to to acknowledge them and notice them first. We need to get our eyes off our problems and onto him. You know, when is the last time that you thanked God for your house or your kids or your spouse? When is the last time that you thanked him that the sun is shining or the rain has come? When is the last time you thanked him for waking up this morning? Great. Doug thanked him at breakfast. That is awesome. But, you know, we need to be just a people that is thankful for the things that we do have and not focusing on what we don't have. Let's keep our perspective on God and his promises instead of the giants that may lay before us. We could just... Chuck up that next slide. <clears throat> kind of thought that was kind of, kind of cute. But how often do we live like that? The difference between the person who is defeated and the person who is victorious is their perspective. Our emotional perspective would say, look at all the trouble I'm going through. Look how tough things are. But the rightly focused perspective would say, I know the things God has promised me, and I choose to focus on those instead of what my natural eyes may see. I also just want to add here that we're not to completely ignore our fears. Like, that isn't wise or safe either. But the point is, we just don't let them dictate how we view God and how the way that we live. My last thought this morning is about influence. You know, people are watching. People are always watching what we do and how we do it. And I kind of hate to say it, but because we're Christians, we will be judged more harshly than others. And we are kept accountable to a higher standard. We are all placed in a place of influence, whether it's at work, amongst our friends, at home, on social media, and at church. You know, don't just think because you sit at the back of church that you have no influence, that you can't affect the people around you, because you do, and you can. It doesn't matter your title or your position. You have the power to influence the way people think. You have influence on their lives and to a certain extent you have influence on what they focus on the 12 spies who went to the promised land they were all leaders and so when they gave a negative report to the people the people chose to side with the majority instead of with Joshua and Caleb who were holding on to the promises of God and because the people chose the negative there was an uproar. 600,000 men, and probably double that in women and children, decided that they were not going to focus on God's promises, but on the negative report that came back. There was crying and there was wailing all night as people lost focus on the promise. 
So much so that they were crying out and saying that they were better off as slaves back in Egypt. There's a verse in Galatians that I love. It's Galatians 5, verses 7 and 8, and it reads, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. That's exactly what happened to the Israelites. The ten spies cut in on them. They influenced them, and they lost sight of the promise. Even though Moses was called to lead them, the Israelites chose to follow the majority over the called. And we all know the consequences of their bad decision. They made decisions based on emotions instead of absolute truth. And they were sentenced to wander in the wilderness one year for every day that the spies were in the promised land. They were pretty harsh consequences. We all have influence We are all called to be salt and light in the world. How are you influencing? Are you pushing people towards God and his promises? Or are you living by fear? And are you leading people away from God into the wilderness? This influence thing is twofold. We all have influence, but we also have people that influence us. I remember a few years ago I had some friends... And they were really, they were good friends. They were fun friends. You know, we had a lot of fun together. And I loved hanging out with them. And these friends, they weren't bad people as such. But God showed me after a while that they weren't leading me to him. In fact, they were leading me away from him. Hmm. Choose who you spend your time with. You know, the enemy is subtle in the ways that he works. It's not always the blatant sin that smacks you in the face. Often it's a slow leading away from God and his truth. It's allowing apathy into our lives and distractions that lead us away from God. It's allowing social media or Netflix or the gym or friends to be our number one priority instead of God. Now, we can justify it all we like, But at the end of the day, we need to see those things for what they are. Now, those things are not all bad things. They're all all good things if we keep it in balance. And our number one focus and number one priority in our life always has to be God. We cannot let those things take precedent in our lives because that's when they become a problem. You know, I think for years I never realised the influence that I had I never realised the influence I had with friends, with family, on social media, and especially with my family. You know, people are always watching, and whether you're using words or not, how you live your life says a lot to people. You know, I now realise that I'm in an absolutely privileged position, and it is my prayer that I would live my life in such a way that wherever I am, whether it's here at the supermarket, on social media, or at home, that I will always, always bring glory to him. I also just want to point out that, you know, God has made us uniquely. And by being who God has created you to be, brings him glory. You know, we're not reflecting him if we're trying to be somebody else or squishing who he's made us to be. So this morning I just... 
as I was praying into this, I felt like God was giving us permission to be us. You know, God is giving you permission to be you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made and he does not make mistakes. He has made you the way that you are. You know, we may see different aspects of people at different times. Like if you follow me on um, Instagram, you will see that there's another crazy side to me. But it's still me. It's not a different me. It's just a different aspect of me. So I just, yeah, really feel that God wants you to give permission for you just to be you. But be the best you that you can be. The Israelites, the Israelites had a choice. You know, they may not have felt like it, but they did have a choice. They could have held on to the promises of God. They could have believed in his character. They could have remembered his goodness, and they could have walked into the promised land. But instead, they chose to focus on the negative. They lost their focus. They sided with the majority the majority who had already partnered with fear, and they ended up walking in the wilderness for 40 years. As a church, let's learn from their mistakes so that we don't make the same ones. So this morning as I close, I just want to leave you with a couple of reminders because God has given us a free will. And just like the Israelites, we need to make choices and we need to make good choices. So this morning, let's keep our eyes on God and his promises. Let's choose to use our influence for good. Let's choose not to join in with the grumblings and listen to the negative people because they will ever so slowly draw you away from the intimacy with God. Let's choose to spend our time with people who will uplift us, who will encourage us in our walk. Let's be a people who use our influence wisely. let's choose to live our lives with the fear filter removed and choose to live in his truth and his promises. Let's choose to be a people who glorify God and go out and be the best version of you that you can be.